Hello and welcome once again to A Reason for Hope. We're glad you're joining us. Uh, however it is you're joining us on one of our platform, you found us on A Reason for Hope. is now a long live broadcast and it's guided along by your questions on the Bible. You provide the content for our show for the most part with your questions. So if you have a Bible question for us, that's what we're here to do. Live for the next hour, we'd uh, be glad to answer your questions as we... Um, explore God's Word, the Bible, together. So it could be a verse or passage of Scripture that you have a question about. You're not sure what it means or how it applies to you or maybe even something that seems to be a contradiction in the Bible. Maybe something you're going through in your life. You'd like a biblical perspective. What has God said about um, different you know, decisions and directions we take in life? Uh, maybe Christianity as a whole, you might be more of a seeker. Maybe other religions and worldviews as they relate to Christianity. God bless you, sir. Thank you. And, <laughs> and the Bible. Um, really, any honest question you have, we do obviously ask it be an honest and sincere question. And as long as you know that the Bible is where we're finding the answers, we don't want to give you our opinions as much as what the Word says as accurately as we possibly can with the Lord's help. That's what we're about. So do send your question in. I'll be going, on, going over all those platforms. Just a moment, just so you know how to get your question to us. My name's Dave Robson. I'm your host today. Uh, like I say, I'll be with you on all those platforms today and um, just kind of guiding the show along with the questions with us today, Pastor Scott Richards. He's hey. the senior pastor here at Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. Last I checked. Yes. Yep. <laughs> has been for 30 years we celebrate this yes. year. Huh? 30 yes. years of Calvary Christian Fellowship being a thing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I think we'll stick with it. Yeah. It seems to be going all right. <laughs> right for now, also with Pastor Sean Richards, your son, my brother. We're all family. That's right. In Christ. Yeah. How are you doing today? I haven't been here for 30 years, but I was. Uh, That's true. There in the dawn of the, I guess, ribbon cutting ceremony. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think of it like that. You yeah. weren't here. You weren't, you, you weren't in existence. Still when in gestation. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. Actually, you were. And we can support that biblically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we will, if you yeah. ask the question about that. But yeah. Well, thank you both for being here, being available um, for people's questions today. We appreciate you. As I mentioned, Reason for Hope is a live broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. here in Tucson, Arizona, Mountain Standard Time. You can join us all around the world, of course, through the internet. Um, we are Calvary Chapel Church here in uh, Tucson. So if you're in the Tucson area looking for somewhere to worship the Lord, you're more than welcome to come and check us out. We um, teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. It's kind of a Calvary Chapel thing, distinctive. And um, you're welcome to come along and join us. Uh, you can check out our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. Get more information there. But we have Sunday morning services. We have a Wednesday evening service as well. So calvarychristianfellowship.com. If you go to that Watch Live tab, that takes you out to our live page, or just type in ccftucson.online.church into your browser, and it will take you right to that same page. You'll see a countdown to our next event. You'll see a schedule of upcoming events, unless we're live, which we are now, in which case you'll see the video. You can sign in with a username, and there's a chat function. I'll be right there with you, and you can send your question in through that method. Um, we recommend that, calvarychristianfellowship.com. That's our website. We have more control over that and if you're someone that's not on social media that'd be a great place for you to go but we're on facebook as well facebook.com slash ccf tucson or just look for calvary christian fellowship of tucson um, on facebook send your question in through the chat function don't forget to like and share and all that good stuff we'd appreciate that we have an app for your mobile device as well calvary christian fellowship of tucson once again in your app store 
you can download our app. There's uh, messages on there, archived um, messages. There's uh, events coming up, and also you can watch us live, watch this show, and send your question in through that method as well. We're on Roku and Apple TV. We have a channel in your channel store. You can add us and watch us on your big screen as well if you would like to do so. Uh, we're on YouTube as well, live, A Reason for Hope. Um, our um, handle or our address has changed for that, youtube.com slash at a reason for hope, the number four there used, a reason number four hope on YouTube or just search for a reason for hope, you'll find us there. It's a great place for archives. If you go to that live tab, whenever we've been live, it archives there for you. So if you missed a show or you wanted to watch one again to your heart's content, you can do that there. We post other videos as well on YouTube. So a reason for hope on YouTube. Don't forget to like and subscribe and the notification bell and all that good stuff as well. Pastor Scott is on X, formerly known as Twitter. His handle is Scott R4H. With everything going on in the world, there's lots of commentary going on there. Um, things as it uh, relates to biblical prophecy and end times and all that kind of good stuff. So, and don't forget, you can DM me a question at uh, that uh, profile place great. on X. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. another yeah. way you can send a, uh, send a question in as well. Yep. So Scott. Excellent. 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 <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> it's going to be that kind of show today. Yeah, so Scott R4H on, um, on Twitter, on X. Scott Richards, you can follow along and send your question in, as he mentioned as well. We're on Rumble as well, not live, but uh, we post video content there. If you're on the Rumble platform, a reason for hope, Bible Q&A, you will find us there as well. And then questionsforhope at gmail.com is our email address. Questions for hope all spelled out at gmail.com. You're welcome to send your question there as well. Welcome if you're listening to us on the radio, on Reach Radio or another radio affiliate. Do keep in mind that you're listening to the last show that we did pre-recorded on the radio, but all those other aforementioned platforms, we are live as can be. So questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can send us your question uh, there 24-7, of course. So wherever you're joining us, you're very welcome. Please do send your questions in. We'd love to parcel out the time to get to them today. And we always at this point pause to pray because we obviously we're handling God's word. We want him to speak. We want it to be accurate and to minister to people and us as we all grow together. So why don't we do that? Scott, would you like to pray for us? I would love to. That'd be great. Lord, thank you that we can come into your presence like this. And what a beautiful thing it is that when we speak here on earth, our voice is heard in heaven because of what Jesus has done and the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we're speaking to you right now, but we want you to speak to us in this program. Lord, meet us here. Visit us here. Uh, I pray that you would be uh, the uh, unseen fourth person in this broadcast mm. and that uh, people would hear your voice and sense your love and uh, desire to have a relationship with you where they can worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray you would do this miracle for us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, I appreciate, Scott, that you give us updates on what's going on in Israel and the world. Is there anything you'd like to share with us? Oh, boy, lots and lots and lots going on. There's oh, an ancient Chinese uh, curse that says, may you live in interesting times. Mm -hmm. We may be cursed. among the uh, most <laughs> cursed people the world mm -hmm. has ever known. Uh, just a number of different things. Uh, the, the headlines uh, grabbing uh, most of the attention in the news have to do with Iran and Pakistan uh, now getting into a missile war. Uh, with each other. The reason this is so significant is because Pakistan has the bomb. Uh, Iran would love to have the bomb. In fact, uh, there was a report uh, that was aired uh, right before uh, airtime uh, by the International Atomic Energy Agency 
where uh, they uh, calculate that Iran now has sufficient quantities of highly enriched uranium. We've talked about how it has to be enriched beyond 90% to be weapons grade, uh, if you will. Uh, but uh, according to the IAEA Director General Rafael Mariano uh, Grassi, he told Bloomberg News that Iran has sufficient quantities of highly enriched uranium to build several atomic warheads uh, if they so desire. And their desire may be getting more and more intense uh, because they are in a uh, missile war uh, with uh, Iran. Uh, very interesting quotes going on uh, along this line. There was a quote from the Iraqi uh, foreign minister who is not happy with Iran at all, saying that uh, in a CNN interview, the only reason that uh, Iran is going after uh, targets in Iraq, uh, which they did, they took out the uh, home of a very prominent Iraqi millionaire in the city of Erbil. Uh, they said that they uh, took him out because he was a Mossad agent. No evidence to suggest that this was the case. Uh, they also uh, lobbed uh, some uh, missiles very, very close to uh, the United States uh, Embassy uh, adjunct that is there in that particular city. So, uh, you know, really uh, very, uh, very uh, troubling sort of events. Why is uh, Iran and uh, Pakistan looking at going to war? Well, it all comes down to a group of people called the Baluchis. Now, most of us uh, would have said that they've never heard of the Baluchis, but there is an area called Baluchistan there, just as there are these uh, tribal people groups that live in the Middle East. Yeah, uh, the, the, the whole trouble started, and I blame your people, Dave, for this, uh, when the Brits sat down and basically divvied up countries in the Middle East. And mm -hmm. as they were getting out of the British Empire business, controlling all that real estate, they just basically sat down in a study in London and drew lines and said, this is going to be Iraq, and this is going to be Syria, and this is going to be Lebanon, and this is going to be, you know, and the, the list goes on. Mainly using rivers and mountain ranges, but yeah. not an informed perspective about the cultural topography. Yeah, because uh, in this place, you've got all these different people groups, like you've heard of the Kurds. Uh, the Kurds' territory includes area in Turkey, it includes area in Iraq, it includes area in Syria, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the, the Kurds want their own homeland. Well, the Baluchis work the same way, except they are located on the borders of Iran and Pakistan. Well, you've got Baluchis who want a homeland. And uh, part of the Baluchis uh, in the Iranian side of the border uh, want to take territory from Iran and have a Baluchi homeland. So they do terroristic activities to try to dissuade the Iranians from controlling the territory. Other side of the border, you have Baluchis who want to have a homeland, but they want to get the land from Pakistan. And so they do terroristic attacks against Pakistan in order to uh, persuade Pakistan to give them territory. And when the heat gets hot, they run across the other respective borders uh, with the idea that Pakistan isn't going to go after them if they're in Iran, and Iran isn't going to go after them if they're in Pakistan. So it's been a mess for years, right? Uh, we, we just don't ever hear anything about it because it's not really our problem. The well, Hebrews it, can't be condemned as a result of it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, does, it has nothing to do with condemning uh, 
the existence of the state of Israel, so our media doesn't cover it. Uh, so the, the, the bottom line is uh, these Baluchis uh, that uh, were operating uh, in Iran, wanting Iranian territory, operating from Pakistan, took out a, a highly placed member of the Iranian Republican Guard Corps unit. Uh, and uh, again, got involved with, uh, you know, a, uh, a terrorist explosion. Uh, there are those who now believe that the uh, detonation of uh, a device at the uh, four-year anniversary of the death of Qasem Soleimani, who was the grandfather of uh, Iran's uh, using proxies to carry out their ambitions in that area, uh, may have had something to do with the Baluchis. Uh, who knows? Uh, we're really not sure. Uh, ISIS has taken uh, credit for it. You've got all of these uh, different uh, uh, groups that are, are stirring things up there. Well, the problem uh, was that as a result of this uh, taking out of this Iranian Republican Guard Corps, uh, highly placed individual, the Baluchis who did it ran across the border into Pakistan. So Iran, what do they do? They send some missiles off of what they would consider known Baluchi positions in Pakistan. Pakistan goes, whoa, 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 what are you doing? You're uh, violating our territorial imperative here. We're a sovereign nation. You can't just go shooting your missiles in here because you don't like somebody. And uh, lo and behold, uh, to show their ire and uh, their, uh, their lack of uh, uh, agreement with all that, uh, the uh, Pakistanis launched a few missiles at some uh, fairly nondescript targets in uh, Iran, which has just gotten Iran that much more angry. Uh, bottom line is now we have Pakistani F-16s, supplied to them by the United States, by the way, uh, flying uh, patrols across the border. It, it does appear that this particular uh, dust-up is getting more and more intense. Uh, China tried to step in and cause Iran and Pakistan to kiss and make up. Uh, China was shown the door. Uh, now Saudi Arabia is trying to step in and get Pakistan and Iran to play nice with each other. Uh, doesn't seem like the results are going to be very good. So uh, there are reports of sirens being heard at the American consulate in Erbil, Iraq. Uh, suicide drones are reportedly attacking the compound. These suicide drones are again commissioned by Iran. So if you're keeping score at home, uh, Iran is very, very busy. In fact, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu uh, was asked, uh, look, if Iran is behind all of this stuff, if they're behind the Houthi rebels, right, uh, interrupting international commerce, we've got the United States taking out, I guess, before airtime, they said uh, Houthi uh, missiles, the emplacements that were on railroad tracks. They took out a bunch of those uh, right before airtime. Uh, if Iran is behind all of this, right, and Iran has actually hijacked some of the ships in the Gulf of Aden uh, that is right there off of Yemen. They've gotten directly involved with all of this. Uh, Iran is, uh, is launching missiles at Pakistan and so on. Uh, Iran is the one who basically uh, sponsored and developed and equipped and armed Hamas. Uh, Iran is the one that uh, has equipped Hezbollah in uh, Lebanon uh, with over 250,000 rockets they could use in a war against Israel, as well as providing them uh, uh, infantry and special forces training. Uh, you know, if, if Iran is the head of all this, why not go after Iran? Well, Benjamin Netanyahu 
The Prime Minister of Israel was asked that uh, earlier today, and he says, who says we aren't attacking Iran? He said, Iran is like an octopus, and uh, every one of these ventures we're involved with is literally going after one of the tentacles, which always raises the key question, if uh, that's the case, why not go after the head? Well, uh, again, uh, our current administration has very cozy relations uh, with Iran. Uh, I'm not sure how uh, they're responding to Iran, making them look bad in front of the world as a result of all of this. But uh, it may be that the United States is going, no, 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 don't, don't go after them you know, quite yet. Uh, there are other reports saying that Israel is looking at a northern campaign uh, the good news is, as far as Gaza is concerned, the head of the IDF says that uh, their operations in northern Gaza are pretty much complete. Uh, they have control over that particular area. Uh, their uh, operations now focusing on southern Gaza and some of the, the video that has come out of uh, some of the things they've discovered in terror tunnels uh, there, the, uh, they were able uh, to uh, discover and take out one of the largest Hamas uh, munitions manufacturing plants uh, that they've ever discovered in one of these terror tunnels in southern Gaza. Uh, and uh, it looks like uh, once the, uh, the terrorist infrastructure, the terror tunnels and so on, are uh, brought under control, that Israel is going to uh, go about the business then I'm on a case-by-case case, taking out Hamas terrorists, taking out Hamas leaders, and so on. Uh, Israel has gone slowly in that regard out of uh, care for uh, the hostages. Uh, really devastating reports coming out of uh, IDF troops uh, finding the bodies of abductees in cemeteries in the Gaza Strip. The IDF said uh, they carry out search and rescue operations uh, following uh, specific intelligence information that arrives about the possibility of bodies being found in those places. Uh, they are identifying these bodies, but it does appear that uh, a number of the hostages have already been brutally slaughtered. Speaking of mm -hmm. which, a horrific story coming out of uh, Gaza. Uh, a, uh, a young man who was in the IDF by the name of Adir Tahar uh, was uh, captured by uh, Hamas early on in the conflict. Uh, his body was among those that were found uh, along with some of these others due to intelligence reports. His body uh, just uh, cruelly dismembered, including being beheaded, but showing signs of torture before the beheading. Well, uh, a, an individual a terrorist who was captured and interrogated by Israel admitted that he was the one who uh, beheaded uh, uh, Adir Tahar. And uh, just the, the story is almost uh, beyond uh, comprehension to be able to understand. Uh, this fellow gave up the location of the head of this IDF soldier. It was being kept in an ice cream shop in southern Gaza. They found the head, and the reason it was being kept in an ice cream shop is this terrorist, and this is who you're dealing with here, this terrorist wanted to sell it as a trophy to other Hamas people for $10,000. Hmm. For $10,000, you could buy this frozen head of an, Israel, an IDF soldier. Wow.
Uh, just the why the, are you surprised? Uh, mm. the, the, but it's just the lack of humanity that is involved yeah. with all of this, and the the whole idea of these protests saying, "Oh, you know, from the river to the sea, we just want Palestine to be free." Fascinating. Uh, right before airtime, there was an interview where a protester chatting that was said, uh, "What river are we talking about here?" And she had no idea. Mm. So uh, you know, just uh, amazing stuff going on. To add to this. Uh, it is the first birthday of the youngest hostage being held, a one-year-old baby uh, by the name of K- Kafir Vivas. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to be praying that he would be returned safe and sound, but you hear reports like this, and it doesn't make you very optimistic. Right. Uh, if Israel gets, in, uh, gets wind of the fact that uh, more of the hostages, or uh, the vast majority of them, have been killed or brutalized in this way, then Katie, bar the door. Mm. Uh, I don't think you're going to see uh, any kind of uh, let up along this line. And so, uh, you know, when you think about this kind of barbarity taking place, uh, it has to have a spiritual root. Uh, you know, the, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan hates Israel, we are told in Revelation chapter 12, because through Israel, Jesus came into the world and Satan knows that Israel will crush his head, as was prophesied way back in the book of Genesis. And so since uh, Satan can't take on God one-on-one, face-to-face, he goes after those whom God loves. He goes after the people of Israel and uh, the, uh, the tactics of uh, these uh, terrorists. Uh, it just is absolutely, to me, inexplicable. Apart from, as you were uh, indicating, Sean, the uh, spiritual roots behind uh, what is happening in this area. They are following the example and teachings of a man who, uh, I guess maybe the most optimistic thing is he maybe never existed in the first place. We're not really even sure Muhammad existed since the only documents that talk about his life are 200 years after the fact. And change, but the problem is whether he existed or not, his teachings and historical example are defining the righteous lifestyles of over a, well, let's see, when was the last uh, count for the world's population? We're at uh, about 9 billion now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So one-ninth and change of the planet's population. These are people made in the image of God (laughs) and yet reflecting and modeling the image of Satan wherever they can. Yeah, well, uh, suffice to say even Al Jazeera, which is not a... uh, pro-Israeli site, is now reporting that dead bodies of 21 Israeli civilians held by Hamas have been found by the IDF in the city of Khan Yunus. Uh, Hamas is slaughtering the hostages. So um, Strike terror into the hearts of the unbelievers. Whenever you encounter them, strike the necks. It's all in there. The the bottom line, though, is uh, we've talked about this expanding from Uh, just a uh, response to this horrific uh, massacre on October 7th, Mohammed al-Kurd, who, uh, by the way, is uh, kept on uh, retainer by a uh, major publishing house in the United States, uh, said that we need to normalize these kind of massacres. We need to make them a part of things. And Hamas has said that we will continue to do October 7th again and again and again until we destroy the Jewish people. Uh, so, you know, we see this, and then we see uh, just this this powder keg that the Middle East is right now. Uh, who knows what's going to happen between Pakistan and Iran? Uh, who knows why Iran 
uh, seemingly is uh, spoiling for war with just about each and every uh, one of uh, the surrounding nations near them. It wouldn't surprise me if they lobbed a missile into Turkey the way they're behaving right now, or even one at Russia. But uh, the, the, the insanity, I guess, is what I'm illustrating there. There's no evidence that they would do such a thing. But uh, I never thought they would drag Pakistan into it. A nuclear power, uh, by the way, and that's getting India uh, all stirred up. Another nuclear power who has had three or four different wars with Pakistan in their history. So uh, you just see this war beginning to expand. I believe it was the uh, British Assistant Secretary of Defense who made a public statement today that uh, we are seeing uh, the world pivoting and setting up uh, for a war footing, uh, whether it is what's going on in North Korea, which is spoiling for problems with South Korea, whether it's China making uh, promises now that they are going to uh, take over Taiwan, uh, whether it is uh, Iran and Pakistan, Pakistan and India now, uh, the, the UK and the United States and the Houthis, uh, the, the whole thing appears to be blowing up. And that shouldn't surprise us because Jesus said that this was another birth pain, another birth pain that would indicate uh, the time of his return. And so uh, the thing about birth pains is they get really, really intense. They spin right up and then suddenly they settle back down again. Uh, the settling down part is going to be the interesting aspect of this. I'm not really foreseeing in the near future uh, the settling down. So this may be a very long and intense birth pain that we are entering into. Mm -hmm. But we as believers in Christ need to realize that Jesus said, look at these, look for these things. It shouldn't surprise us. Uh, and when we see these things begin to happen, look up or your salvation draws near. Mm -hmm. uh, these are things that, um, although they're, they're horrific, and show desperately how much humanity needs a savior and a new heart. Uh, there are also indicators that uh, as far as man running the show here on earth, we're on borrowed time. The clock is ticking. Jesus is coming soon. Hmm. Amen. Amen to that. Thank you, as always, for that update. Uh, we have some questions here. If you guys are ready, we can jump on into that. Um, a question from Robert from yesterday, and I see you with us today. Thanks for hanging in there. We're going to get to your question first. Uh, hello, my dear brothers in Christ, Robert says. So I have a question which is actually from a short video I saw of a Muslim trying to point out an apparent contradiction between 2 Kings 8.26, which reads, Ahaziah was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah. Um, uh, she was a real piece of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the granddaughter of Omri. <laughs> Uh, king of Israel. Sounds like more. Feel free to ask about that. But Second yeah. um, uh, Kings eight twenty six and and Second uh, Chronicles twenty two two, which reads, Isaiah was forty two years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, uh, the granddaughter of Omri. So basically, there seems to be a contradiction here, at first glance. Mm -hmm. Is it yeah. so? Um, when we hear the word contradiction, it's a nice multi-syllable word that can sometimes intimidate people if we're being, I guess, pushed into that level of academia. But we don't need to be intimidated by it. Let's just first clarify what the word means, and then let's ask the question, is this in fact what's happening here? Because if this is in fact a contradiction, the reason why this is being leveled towards the Bible is because a contradiction, which we'll clarify in a moment, would show an inability to get our facts straight. And if we use the Bible as our foundation for the facts concerning this life and the next 
next life and it can't get facts straight, that's less reason to trust it than more. Yeah, John chapter uh, 3, verse 11, Jesus said, I tell you earthly things and you don't believe how you believe if I tell you about heavenly things. So the Bible throws the gauntlet down. And the yeah. claim of a contradiction is if the Bible can't tell us earthly things consistently, then why would we trust it to tell us about heavenly things? Exactly. So it's a fair challenge if it was applied consistently and accurately. But here's the issue. First of all, what is a contradiction? A contradiction is a violation of the second formal law of logic, that A does not equal non-A, that two things in the same way and in the same sense can't both be true and at the same time cancel each other out. Now, most of the time, whenever we hear contradiction, it's someone's either reading into the text something that would put it in conflict with something else, someone outright lying about what a t text is saying, and then comparing it to something else that would be different, or not understanding the difference between an addition of detail and a other factor about the same event right. that could be harmonized. Right. Now, usually in critical circles, they say you can't harmonize unless it's our writings. We need to assume the worst, uh, guilty until impossibly proven innocent, right? And that, of course, is not objective. But in this case, what's actually happening here? Was Ahaziah, the son of Athaliah, the daughter of Omri, right, or granddaughter of Omri, was he... 42 or 22 when he took power. First Kings 8 says something. Second, um, Second Chronicles says something different. Now that is, in fact, something that we need to contend with. Is it a contradiction? Well, if the information being put forward by Ezra and Second Chronicles and the authors of First Kings, which we can named to a number of people, but the people who are giving a historical record of the ages of the kings of Israel, which was basically encapsulating 1 Samuel all the way through 2 Kings, this would be a problem because we put a lot of stress and authority on the Bible. Now, there's been attempts to, like we said before, harmonize this in that there is a different sense in which Second Chronicles 22 was speaking about Athel, or, uh, Ahaziah, in that it wasn't referring to his age, but his dynasty. Uh, for instance, when we look at Omri and his reign, what does the passage note? It says that he reigned six years in Judah. When we then look at Ahab, who was also a very interesting piece of work in southern Israel, Judah. His reign was 22 years. Ahaziah, his descendant in Israel, reigned two years after that, and then Jehoram, or Joram as he was called, reigned 12 years. They note that this dynasty, this legacy of what was essentially uh, Jezebel's black mark on Israel's history, lasted 42 years. Now, that does bear some weight in certain circles where they're giving it the benefit of the doubt and saying, well, if this is a different number, I'm more willing to trust the Bible maybe talking about something different here because I have other reasons to trust the Bible's accurate in everything else that it says. Right. Now that's all well and good, but guess what, ladies and gentlemen, I don't necessarily take that view. There's another theory in attempting to harmonize this, that it's not referring to Ahaziah's age, but his mother's age, because in the original Hebrew, the phrasing is a little bit different, and it notes that Ahaziah, a son of 42 years, Athaliah, it's noting that she was 42 when she had him. I think there might be something there, but I don't actually agree with it. I wouldn't use it in a debate. 
for example, if someone right. brought this up. What we have going on here is one of the other mistakes that critics of the Bible tend to level and that they don't allow for copyist errors. That in the transmission of the text, something was miscopied and a very, very, very insignificant detail ended up resulting in a typo. Like, for instance, another example would be in the book of Jeremiah. We see that the mention of the king who was reigning at the introduction of a chapter was mistaken. And then the rest of the chapter mentions it properly. And if you've ever written something by hand, you understand how this goes. If you've been talking about this guy, this guy, this guy, and then you have to copy off the next text, you might just go into autopilot. Well, we don't believe in a level of inspiration of Scripture where God would smite that person with lightning for making a typo and mistake in what was called the Masoretic Text, the documents of Hebrew scripture that we used for the most part until the Dead Sea Scrolls to form our Old and New Testaments, right? Right. So when they were making copies, they could have miscopied it. And the reason why I think this is the most likely conclusion for this discrepancy, not contradiction, but discrepancy, is because we have earlier copies of Second Chronicles that match the date in First Kings. So it was pretty much certain to be someone making an error in transmission, and because the Masoretic text includes this, it's in the majority of Bible translations, since that's also the text we use. Since then, we've gotten more information and can find out where these typos appeared and when. But just like, say, for example, the difference in the number between Solomon's stables, could it house 4,000 horses or 400,000 horses? And if you look at the Hebrew number, it's literally the difference between what would look like an English X and a like backwards Y and a line. I can see the typo. If we look at the age of this guy Ahaziah and ask the question, okay, is this different than 1 Kings 8? And if you're leveling that level of immutability, not just in Revelation, which is what we believe by being inerrant, right. but in transmission, that unless God invented the photo, the photo, the photocopier, the instant that he started revealing the Ten Commandments to Moses at Mount Sinai, and then gave Moses this like immutable text that would burn someone if they ever strayed from the carefully outlined lines that we like teach yeah. kids in grade school, they have Lightning to strike. Yeah, the they point. have to <laughs> present the most ridiculous definition of inerrancy and not even argue for inerrancy, then accuse the Bible of being an error when the transmission of the text being not just an error in this case, but mistaken, a typo, is in fact a more rational conclusion. The more and the more the more that you're going to be engaging with people, you're going to find this out as time goes on. You need to catch people on their assumptions. Not just that this is a contradiction, but what if it was a mistake in writing? And if it's a mistake in writing, therefore we have to throw the whole thing out. How would you know anything about ancient history since the invention of the photocopier was a very recent event in history? Even the printing press wasn't 100% right because you had to have a perfect version of it at the hand when you made the tiles. So here's the point. When someone levels this kind of contradiction, you can just Google search answers to what may harmonize these texts, and 99 times out of 10, I said that intentionally, you're going to find that their handling of the text wasn't exactly consistent. If you note that the issue here is not a deliberate deception 
or a purposeful error, but given the fact we have earlier copies going, I think, to the around the 8th century that would note the same ages and dates, that the error creeped in between somewhere in the 800s and today, which means that the earlier we can, or the closer we can get to the earliest manuscripts, the more accurate we're going to get. And we have more ability mm -hmm. to do that now than ever with more papers going on every right. single day. Right. Look at the research of Daniel Wallace. He's making the most pristine photocopies of all the ancient manuscripts that we can compare to the ones that we have today in the thousands of languages that the Bible is transmitted in, both during and after the second century. But the point being made is this. If someone's leveling this at you and you don't have time to go into manuscript history, you don't have time to go into all that stuff, most of the people that are using the word contradiction don't even know what it means. So this would be my street answer to this kind of objection. Go. Wow. <laughs> Man, if Ahaziah was 42 or 22 when he became a king, I just can't imagine that. This is me being sarcastic, by the way. Just can't imagine that throwing the entirety of Jesus ri dying and rising from the dead into question. Man, I, if I really needed to know that Ahaziah was either 42 or 22, I really needed to know whether he's in the spry of his youth or somewhat in youth as a result of him taking the kingship and doing a terrible job with it. I, and I'm just hammering the point home, but you get my drift. What is the reason why we trust Scripture? That's a question that you need to be able to answer for yourself. If you find someone that's competent, and they're becoming rarer as you go on in life, that actually want to know, I trust the—I'm taking your word for it that the Bible claims to be inerrant. This is an error. So is it in error or is it inerrant? There is a difference. Yeah. Then you can take them seriously do some research and get back to them and say, a copyist error isn't a contradiction. If you were reading the Bible in the 8th century, they didn't change. Or you can give the dates of the dynasty of Athaliah and these people that she was unfortunately able to influence in honor of her grandmother Jezebel, but that's another issue. Point being made is that. Yeah. When we're talking about a copyist error, it's not a contradiction. It's certainly a difference of information, but it bears no authority, not just on the reliability of Scripture, but goes on to prove it because guess what? We're not hiding it. We noticed it. And if you look in study Bibles, like the one I'm holding here, it makes a footnote in saying earlier manuscripts note this as 22, not right. 42. Mm -hmm. Right. And, uh, you know, the other thing that I would say, it, two things, is that when we say that the Bible is uh, inspired, uh, inerrant, uh, what we are referring to is in the original manuscripts. We are not saying that is true about every copy that has ever been made of the Bible down through time. Well, people say, well, but you know, everybody knows the Bible has been changed thousands and thousands of times, uh, yada, yada, yada. How can we know what the original said? Well, here's how we know what the original said. Uh, first of all, as Sean mentioned, you can take a look at the wealth of copies that we have, compare and contrast, and say, okay, it does appear that the earliest and best copies that we have of this put this guy's age at 22. Uh, the other thing that's interesting is in 2 Kings chapter 8 and verse 17, we're told that Ahaziah's father Joram died at the age of 40. Therefore, Ahaziah couldn't have been 42 when he came to the throne. That's <laughs> pretty much a non-starter right yeah. there. But do you understand uh, what we're dealing with here? We use data within the text itself to come to a conclusion. Okay, some manuscripts say 42, some say 22, but in 2 Kings chapter 8 and verse 17, 
we see conclusive evidence to support the fact that he had to have been uh, at least yeah uh, that that old in order to come to the throne uh you know so uh the idea that his father joram gave birth to him when he was uh, second year of his reign makes a lot of sense as opposed so, to a second year of life yeah so you know the 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 bottom line is we take all this data together and what are we trying to determine we're trying to determine what the original manuscripts had to say mm. now the good news is we have a god who inspired the scripture who wants us to know his truth and has not been subtle about providing all the evidence necessary to be able to determine uh, exactly what his word said in the original and to come to one of these gotcha passages and if you know somebody just came up to you at the tank of verde swap meet and said oh you know well there's things says 42 and this says 22 sir clearly there's there's an error the average person goes oh oh i don't, I don't even know don't even remember who ahaziah is and mm -hmm. and you walk away feeling like you've been you know pretty much humiliated what you do in a situation like that, and there, here's kind of the practical application point, is to say to that person, if you don't know about Ahaziah, and you don't know about the manuscript evidence, and you don't know about, uh, you know, again, Second uh, Kings chapter 8, and verse 17, and how it all comes together, what you say to that person is this, um, you know, that's a really good question, and if you'd like, I'll look into that for you and see if there's a solid answer to that question. Would you be interested in me doing that? Um, yeah. More often than not, uh, the questioner, the gotcha questioner, isn't interested mm -hmm. in finding out how old Ahaziah really was when he came to the throne. Yeah, you know, they're just kind of interested in making you feel foolish yeah. when you're out there and, and piling on and then throwing on a bunch of invective. Yeah. And, and so I really have a, a great uh, over time. I think God gave me wisdom in all the battlefield apologetics I've done. I've got a great diagnostic question I throw out. I say to the person, if I were to answer that question to your satisfaction, mm. would you consider giving your life to Jesus? <laughs> when I ask people that question, uh, I'm still holding out uh, the, the possibility that one person will actually mm -hmm. say, yes. yeah, I really would. That's really been the stumbling block for me. Uh, but I'm Age approaching the, the point where I yeah. believe that it's a metaphysical certitude that when someone comes at you with that kind of attitude, yeah. and, and they've copied and pasted from, you know, atheists are us, or, you know, some uh, Islamic, uh, you know, put down Christianity site, uh, you know, the Taoists and all of this stuff, they, they haven't looked into it really themselves, but they enjoy making Christians look silly and foolish. And there was a time in my life where I could say I was part of that pack. I didn't, you know, would discover how little Christians really knew about what they believed and uh, why they believed it, by asking pointed questions. Yeah. But uh, the, the bottom line is this, are you just there to win an argument or are you searching for truth? One seems wise, the other seems rather foolish. Yeah. One seems to be a, a sign of a true seeker of God and the bottom line truth about spiritual things, the other just seems to be puffed up and proud and wanting to win an argument. Right. So you ask them that question. You know, and, and just if they say, well, yeah, I, I would, that would really help me out. If you can answer that question for me, that's always bothered me. Well, yeah. then do your homework, call us on the program. We'll be happy to give you more information on Ahaziah and uh, the time of his ascension to the throne and so on. Then you can shake a stick at. Uh, if they go, well, no, then here's what I usually say to them. Okay, okay so we've determined something here. Uh, your problem isn't a question of the intellect, uh, 
It's a question of the will. It's not that you can't believe in Jesus, it's that you won't believe in Jesus, no matter what the evidence suggests. Is that a very rational way of making spiritual decisions? Let them stew on it. Right. You know, I mean, uh, sometimes uh, in those encounters that I had with Christians, I'd end up putting them down and making them feel bad, but they might say something like, well, I don't know about this, but, but, but you know, Jesus did say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I go, ah, you know, and I walk away. You know, it's funny how God always honors his word because it might have been like two or three days later or a couple weeks later, but I'd wake up like at two in the morning and I'd have this thought going through my mind. What if they're right? Hmm. And what happens to you after you die? Is that it? You know, it was like these things would just start, I didn't know that was the Holy Spirit working on me, preparing the soil. And I would never let that Christian that I talked to know that they made any kind of dent in my armor, but God's working. And never underestimate that. And if you have an encounter with a person like that, tell them this. It'll drive them crazy, too. Just say, I'm praying that God is going to lead you into his truth. Mm. I'm going to pray for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. And since a Muslim brought it up, this is your fault. Yeah. Um, there's some examples of some contradictions in the Quran that you could level at them. According to the Quran, Muhammad was the first Muslim in Surah 614 and in Surah 6163. Did I say Muhammad? No, did the Quran say Muhammad? Actually, Moses was the first Muslim, according to Surah 7143. Oh, did I say Moses? I meant the Quran said that Abraham was the first Muslim in Surah 2127 and 367. Oh, did I say Abraham? Adam was actually the first man who received inspiration from Allah, and this according to Surah 237. Which is it? Was Adam the first Muslim? Was Muhammad the first Muslim? Was Moses the first Muslim? Was, and on and on it goes. You can hold their feet to the fire over this, and what's the Muslim going to do? They're going to harmonize the passage, and this is where you can then switch back to polite mode if you want, and engage with them and say, okay, so you're willing to harmonize your text. Why can't I do the same with mine? Yeah. There you go. Yeah. And by the way, you can't harmonize that. This is a legitimate error in the Quran. Yeah. Well, Robert, thank you. Thank you for that question. Appreciate it. Um, uh, Mike, your question, uh, I saw Sean posted the link, your question on worship in the Lord in spirit and truth. A month Um, ago. We answered that on a previous show, and he posted the link for you, so hopefully that that will answer your question. You can watch that um, the archive of the show, and for the sake of time, um, it's right there for you. So the you answer go. won't change. You won't, the answer, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've updated Same the book. answer. <laughs> yeah. There's been new inspiration. No, that's not true. A uh, question from Ina: Why does God heal some and not others? Is it is it God's sovereignty, or that you didn't have enough faith and you didn't claim your healing? Great question. Ina. Oh boy! Yeah. Problem yeah. of natural evil. Yeah. Well. Uh, you know, I think probably the most difficult question that comes up in terms of supernatural healing is not that God never heals, it's that sometimes he does. And sometimes he does in a way that is absolutely supernaturally. Uh, and there's no way around it. Then there's other times we really don't know why uh, God chooses not to heal in a particular set of circumstance. You know, the, the default position, I would say, and, and, you know, I would tell you, I, there was a time uh, early on in my Christian life where I was knee-deep uh, in the name it and claim it uh, thing, where, you know, if you don't have enough faith, uh, you're not going to get healed, and you, negative confessions and all of this other stuff. Uh, but uh, the Lord has taught me quite a bit uh, about healing and about uh, kind of how it works. Let me give you a couple of examples of uh, the whole idea of healing and cancer. 
Now, I've shared this before, but uh, my dad, who was a pretty thoroughgoing non-believer, uh, had <coughs> lymphoma cancer. And he, he called me one day and he said, you know, I, I just got out of uh, an appointment with my oncologist. He told me that my lymphoma has now compromised my adrenal gland. I've got basically uh, less than two months to live. Uh, you know, I uh, just thought I'd share that news with you. And I, I said to my dad, and I said, well, can I pray for you? Now, that was a big deal because uh, when I decided to go into the ministry instead of being a lawyer, spiritual things were really a touchy issue. My dad said, yeah. So I prayed for him. I didn't pray some hooting and hollering, come out, foul demon of cancer prayer. I just said, Lord, if it's your will, I pray you would heal my dad of his cancer. But whatever happens here, I pray you'd show him how much you love him. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, he said, well, you know, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, uh, the doctor's telling me I'm going to go in and have another scan done. They'll see how much it's progressed. I'll give you the results on Monday. And so he calls me on Monday and he goes, uh, oh, you'll never believe what happened. Your, your, your prayer, I just, I can't believe what happened. So he sat down with this oncologist. Uh, we called him Dr. Pull the Plug because he was a great oncologist, but a lousy uh, bedside manner kind of a guy. And uh, he said, uh, Mr. Richard, before I give you the results of your scan, I've got a question for you. Are you a religious man? And my dad says, not particularly, why? And he said, well, this is the scan of your adrenal gland that we took. Here's the 80% compromise. It shows up here on the scan. This is the scan we took on Friday. Uh, there's no trace of your lymphoma. There's not even a scar. I have no explanation for this scientifically. So I wanted to know if you're a religious man. My dad said, uh, you know, so thank you for praying for me. You know, I just, your prayer, I said, dad, it wasn't my prayers. It was God. God was showing you how much he loves you. And as a result of that, my dad gave his life to Christ. Well, fast forward a few years, I'm diagnosed with cancer, right? Uh, you know, I've seen God supernaturally intercede and intervene in my dad's case, healing, you know, uh, a far more advanced and dangerous prognosis than when I had. But uh, the Lord worked in a different way. He sovereignly uh, brought me into contact uh, with someone who happened to know someone who happened to know another person who was the head of uh, urological surgery at the Mayo Clinic. Through that connection, I was able to get in and have a procedure done to remove my cancer. And the sovereign hand of God was so powerful because two weeks after that, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, Mayo Clinic shut down that particular procedure for four months. Hmm. They did the biopsy and they told me that if I'd wait another four months, my cancer would have metastasized. And once uh, that cancer metastasizes into your bones, it's just, it's a death sentence. Uh, so not exactly a good life sentence either so god supernaturally sovereignly didn't snap his fingers and have uh, my cancer vanish like in the case of my dad in this case he sovereignly moved and brought me into a place where he was going to use his providence if you will to accomplish that same thing okay so god reserves the right to heal in different ways and use different tools in order to heal including doctors so that's one thing that we have to keep in mind. The other thing that we have to remember is sometimes God will always answer our prayers, but he reserves the right to answer our prayers in one of three ways. Yes, which we love. No, which maybe we can learn to live with, or wait. That's the toughest one of all. But God sees the big picture. And there is nowhere in the scripture where we find 
uh, especially looking at the lives of the apostles, the closest followers of Jesus themselves, where coming to Jesus gave them an easy, carefree life, or even a disease-free life. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 talked about a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan that was there to buffet him. Three times he asked God to take it away. And God said, no, for my strength is made manifest in weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. In other words, this was something that taught Paul weakness in his own confidence in his flesh, but it gave him tremendous spiritual strength. So sometimes God is working on a different level in a different way. Um, you know, when we get there, we see God in heaven. Uh, one of the most comforting verses to me is in 1 Corinthians 13 and, and verse 8 and following. It says, now, or verse 10, I should say. It says, now we see through a glass darkly, then face to face. Now I know in part, then I will know fully, even as I'm fully known. Um, we're going to see why God intervened. I think I got a pretty good idea why God intervened in my dad's life. He was more concerned with his heart and his soul than with his adrenal gland. And that was the only way you were going to ever get his attention. Mm. You know, and he died. His cancer came back, uh, you know, a couple years later, and he died a born-again believer in Christ. That's all I needed to know, you see. That's the, the big healing that I was more concerned about. Uh, you know, when God doesn't heal for whatever reason, uh, someday we'll stand before the Lord and I guarantee you, none of us are going to say, well, God, I got a bone to pick with you about why you didn't heal because I, I, I prayed all the prayers and I claimed all the verses and, and, and you decided not to heal. Then we're going to see him face to face. You know, I really believe that the first words we're going to say when we hit heaven and we're perfected and we see things through God's eyes are not uh, hallelujah or gee, I'm glad I made it. But I think it's going to be, wow. I get it now. I understand. It was all part of a plan, and God was glorified. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, the, the problem I have with the faith movement is it uh, reduces God sometimes to kind of a vending machine, you know, to, uh, an errand boy to satisfy our wandering desires. It, 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 it de-emphasizes God's wisdom, God's plan, God's sovereignty, and the fact that, yeah, God does work in mysterious ways. We'd like him to do things a certain way in a certain uh, manner. And sometimes we hear about people receiving these kind of answers to prayers, but sometimes God doesn't go along with all that. I'll tell you, one of the most difficult moments in my cancer journey was uh, right before I was going to have that healing. A guy came up to me at last Sunday I was at church before I went under the knife, and uh, he said, I think you're sinning by doing this because God wants to supernaturally heal you, and if you stand on the promises, you don't have to have that surgery. Mm. And I just looked at him and I said, well... Maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong, but I just see the hand of God working in too radical a way to bring me to this place, uh, to believe that, that uh, this was just happenstance. I believe that God can move supernaturally, and I, can, I believe that he can also work providentially in, in ways that uh, are so supernatural, they almost seem natural to us. The guy just looked at me and says, well, I'm out of here, and I never saw him in church ever again. Well, so there you go. Bye. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so be careful about that, Ina. Uh, God reserves the right to use all kinds of ways to affect his good, acceptable, and perfect will for our life, but he always gets it right. The judge of the earth will do what is right.
and then to deal with this in a more soulless matter when this kind of objection is leveled against Christianity and saying, well, you know, God may, you know, supernaturally heal in some ways. He may deal with evil, and what they mean by evil is things that I don't emotionally like in some ways, but he doesn't do it in all ways. So when they are laying down a standard, a reason to believe or disbelieve in God, they use the natural problem of evil, not the moral problem of evil. That's different. But they would look at the natural disasters, diseases, earthquakes, you know, people being born with birth defects, bone cancer in children, these sort of things, and say, God may deal with some of it, but not all of it. So you can answer this, 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 but you can't answer all of this. So you got to throw that out, right? Yeah. That's, that's the standard. Yeah. Yeah, if it doesn't answer all of it, then you have to throw it out. And they replace it with a worldview that doesn't explain anything. The answer is that there is no answer. It's just the way that it is. Grow up and deal with it. If you die, then more people are coming. Get out of the way for better genetics. That's not an answer no. to anything. No. So the inconsistency behind this argument is why we don't take it seriously. If we have reason to reject God because he allows things to happen we don't emotionally like, mm. you may not emotionally like it, but that no more bears a reality than me denying the existence of a movie because it was poorly directed. I could give examples, but it doesn't mean the movie studio doesn't exist. If you don't like the way that God does things, it doesn't mean he doesn't exist. It means you need more information that he does. And if there would be an entity out there that would know maybe more than you, atheist, anti-Christian, it would probably be God. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Great. Well, thank you for your questions. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Sean. We'll be back tomorrow. We're hoping <clears throat> for a special guest, but I won't say any more about that because I don't want to, to be a liar, but uh, you have to tune in and find out. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful rest of your evening. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.